Just how bad were United against Yeovil in the FA Cup? Well, this was I, I, I wavered between just a little bit Moisian and full Olympiakos. Uh, the thing is, though, we scored two really lovely goals in the last 20 minutes of that game, which took the edge off the first 70 minutes a little bit. If there weren't those two goals, it would be quite difficult to talk about that game. As it is... We've got a hell of a job on our hands discussing the Stoke game and the Yeovil game and trying to flesh it out into an hour's worth of analysis. Yeah. Well, should we just talk about Sir Alex turning up in the helicopter? As the wonderful Paul Gunning said on Twitter, big disappointment that Gareth Bale didn't step out of that helicopter dressed in a suit. <laughs> yeah, well, that would help, wouldn't it? Sir Alex's helicopter ride almost certainly cost more than the entire Yeovil team. I know this is a, it's a stupid argument when people make the comparisons between cost of teams and stuff like that, but he kind of gives you a, a flavour of just how far down the ladder Yeovil are. They've uh, had um, low knees and freebie signings uh, only for the last two years. So they don't spend any money at all, but they put up a good performance against United. I mean, don't look like a team that's lost 15 times this season, do they? Well, except that they definitely look like a team that could have lost 15 times this season because this is such a freak fixture in their lives that so much gets read into these games but it's just like 50 minutes of ridiculous adrenaline and hard pressing and United not on their game combined but actually if you look at Yeovil's performance in front of goal it was pretty terrible you can see why they're not getting any goals true yeah 10 shots four on target from Yeovil so that's not bad is it it's not but only one of them looked like there was any way it could go in. Yeah, indeed. Although, to be fair to them, if it wasn't for the big man falling over his own feet, uh, Kiefer Moore, what, and after an hour or so, or maybe a little less, United could well have been one behind. Um, a great chance, about six or seven yards out, and uh, couldn't get it out of his feet. A stunning, stunning, stunning assist from Johnny Evans for that chance. Ah, uh, yeah, well, shall we talk about Evans? Oh, dear. Oh, dearie, dearie, dearie me. I've got a friend, my, a good friend. You have a friend? I've got more, multiple friends, believe it or not. I don't believe you. <laughs> not I've got a friend who believes Johnny Evans to be our best defender and prov- provides a degree of solidity to the back line that is absent when he's not there. And I, I've really liked Johnny Evans over many years. Paul? Is this your friend? This is the friend you talk to in the morning <laughs> no, in the mirror, isn't uh, it? He's having such a terrible season, Johnny Evans is. He's having a real stinker. The problem is that so is Chris Smalling and everyone else is injured. Well, Chris Smalling had a really good run in the side. Four it, it, games. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. A, a, a really, I mean, I'm not saying he's had a brilliant season, but, but Johnny Evans, he's probably struggling getting back to fitness, getting back to that sharpness, all that kind of stuff. But the excuses are piling up and he's not doing the business whatsoever and he just turned 27 so this is the age where you start to say that these excuses are not acceptable anymore should be at his peak but he's far from it although to be honest that's a statement that could be applied to many united players in that game against yeovil i mean many many of them off the ball um i mean you can talk about the whole of the back five really i mean de Gea had nothing to do uh, rafael didn't have a very good game or at least 45 minutes before he came off um ditto with Shaw. Um, they, both of them looked uh, somewhat ring rusty. Uh, Small and kept hoofing it long, very moisy in that one, uh, which is very disappointing. And, and McNair was, you know, had the gyps again, um, which is, you know, he, he seems to uh, he seems to kind of flick between being Franco Baresi and and uh, a bag of nerves, doesn't he, week to week? Yeah, I mean, I think getting a massive clatter on the head probably did for him in this game. Really, having to wear that funny thing on his head for the for the whole game oh, I should have turned him into Terry Butcher everyone knows that <laughs> uh, Michael Owen was insistent that the Yeovil players dig dig into the United players show them they're in a cup tie basically said oh the, the strikers should have left even more on De Gea there just literally advocating physical violence against the opposition mm. which is really funny because he played like such a pussy for his entire career except those two times one when he tried a kneecap Peter Schmeichel went in late in, on him, didn't he? And then the other time when he tried to snap Ray Janssen in half. Yes. Uh, Manchester United legend Michael Owen. That's right. Mm. The Stoke game, which was the precursor to the Oval game, makes the Oval game feel like you've just watched Brazil because, God, that was... that. The thing about the Stoke game, more than anything else, is it was just an absolutely terrible game of football. Like, regardless of United's performance being terrible... The wind was whipping up an absolute gale. The stupid corners missing at that stadium, and like kept having shots of the corner flags, just looking like they were they were in a in a kind of 
hurricane force wind and the ball as soon as it got off the ground was sort of in the first half flying away from United's goal and flying towards it in the second half it was just all round poor game well it was a very poor quality it was red line versus dog and duck uh, whereas Yeovil was Yeovil versus dog and duck unfortunately uh, Gary Neville's uh, a little bit right about the quality of United sometimes but look I, I'm not sure I buy this excuse. At least not all of it. That uh, it's a it's a you know dodgy pitch and and the wind whips around the stadium. I mean the the ball doesn't blow anywhere when it's on the ground or you're running with it. Unfortunately, United didn't really adapt to the conditions very well. The amount of long balls that were hit in the first half out to the channels and just kind of skipped away from the player. It was just daft, uh, to be honest. So, yes, not the perfect conditions for playing football in anywhere near a decent performance. No, I mean, you know, it's very poor. And you've got to say that's the pattern, isn't it? I'm not sure that I could honestly say, apart from perhaps that first 45 minutes against Tottenham, that United have put in a good performance away from home this season. No, and I want to make it very clear I wasn't trying to defend United's performance against Stoke because of the conditions. It it was just, it all added up. United being rubbish, Stoke being rubbish and the weather being rubbish added up to a very, very, very long 90 minutes. Nice to see Falcao score, of course. And up until that point, that had made Tottenham the only game that he'd started for United where he didn't score or provide an assist. But Yeovil Town proved too much for El Tigre. <laughs> I, I struggled to find anything useful to say about the Stoke game. I, I think there were a lot of really bad decisions made by United players with their use of the ball. It was actually quite a big shame to see Ashley Young pulling up with his hamstring We've now in a position where if Shaw's ankle injury is more serious and we've we've got just no left backs at all, Tyler Blackett finally getting a run out at left back against Yeovil. But what what did you put the the terrible performance at Stoke down to, Ed? Poor distribution, poor gameplay. Uh, I'm still not convinced that three at the back is working for United. Yeah, you know, in this occasion, Young was shifted out to the right. He's putting all his best performances on the left. I'm sure they need to give game time to, don't they? But he didn't have a brilliant day, you know. Perhaps only really Smalling, you know, had a had a decent day, and that's probably because he just headed away twenty five balls from Peter Crouch, right? And in fact, for Stokes' goal, he got completely the wrong position, at least partially at fault for that goal as well, yeah, along with others. So it was just a bad performance from everybody uh, away from home. United just looked really ponderous, and you know, you're, you're looking for a system that works, and it's either you retain the ball, and that didn't happen, or you're going to build a system around playing on the break and we've got no players of any kind of pace if Di Maria's not in the side so I can't really do that so I think as I said last week United really do need to have like 60% possession to be effective and if that's not happening and didn't happen against Stoke then then it's not good for the team and and we don't put in a good performance. Yeah I think they were hit hard by conceding that goal really early because the confidence is a kind of fairly wavering force, isn't it, at United at the moment? It was interesting. The ball kept bouncing off Falcao for his first touch. You were very disparaging about his goal, saying he won't ever get an easier one than that. But I, I thought he did quite well to... Oh, he was trying to control it and it bouncing <laughs> off his knee. But no, his no. first touch his first touch dramatically improved in the 15 minutes after that goal. It, it's such a confidence issue, that. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the kind of thing you, you uh, expect from Rooney, really, for it to bounce off him funny enough I was just looking up the stats while we were talking United had 66% possession against Stoke it didn't feel like it gotta say uh, felt like um, a lot less than that but uh, there you go I guess uh, what I saw on the telly didn't convert into the, the truth or something like that anyway but it all around just not a great performance from United uh, indebted to Falcao for that decent finish albeit like three yards from goal hopefully that will give him some confidence although he didn't have a great game against Yeovil Unfortunately, yeah, it would have been pretty impossible for him to have a great game against Joville, given that he's the centre forward and the ball never reached the centre forwards unless they dropped right deep until really late on in that game. True, I mean, but look, this is a pattern now, isn't it? I mean, it's it's and and I don't see anything that's um, happening to change it. So, do you? Because do. it looks like we're with three five two for the rest of the season. So, given that he said that he had to play wing backs. Uh, because he had no fullbacks available. Now, Shaw and Raphael are both fit against the lower division team. It seemed like the perfect opportunity to play four at the back if he's going to do it for the rest of the season. So it looks like he's not, although 
He hasn't got any fullbacks at all anymore, unfortunately, with young Valencia and Shaw and Raphael all injured. So it looks like we're playing three for the rest of the season, which means we're going to get these kind of performances away from home all the time. It's going to be a pretty ponderous. United are going to play slow. Sometimes that's going to play into the hands of the opposition and, and we're going to struggle to create and take those chances. I think the things that are changing are there are players coming back Blint's going to come back, so you're going to have the option of, presumably at some point, he's going to be able to play, say, Blind, Carrick and Herrera in a midfield three, or at least have the option to choose from amongst those players. I guess Blint will probably end up putting in a bit of a couple of shifts at left-back or something at some point, given the situation, but we'll see about that. But Di Maria coming back is absolutely huge, because that does change things a lot, because as we saw at the end of the game against Yeovil, it gives you the option of doing something on the counter-attack as it did against Arsenal. So I think that'll that'll be absolutely key. And I think the other thing is, what might not change is our away form, but what doesn't need to change is our home form, because there's been so much doom and gloom around United, but it's because we've played three games away from home on the trot. And that's a problem. Like I'm not saying it's not a problem that our away form's terrible, but as soon as it gets back to Old Trafford, it's probably not going to look like that anymore. And we're still on a now an 11 game unbeaten run you know it's 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 like there is an alchemy that could happen and has happened a few times a combination of poor opposition and our better players playing well at home which hasn't happened as you say except for that 45 minutes against Tottenham but that in itself was kind of a sign of potentially things to come so yeah big problems in defense and also then there's the opportunity to buy players because it is January and I guess I would not be surprised to see a right back come in this January. We'll see. Uh, there's briefing and counter briefing on this one, isn't there? United uh, seem to be keeping their cars close to their chest here, or at least plenty of disinformation. So I've had it be told that there absolutely is no one going to be bought this this uh, January. And uh, I've had other people say, uh, and uh, good people who know some things, that United are definitely going to spend money this January. So. Mm. Which one of those is true? I'm not sure. Well, yeah, this is the, the, the thing about the relationship between the club and the wider world when it comes to their transfers, because Woodward basically going around saying, yeah, we're going to throw all the money around, did lead to a bunch of players coming in. But if you look at the price tag, all those players cost, you might have gone, oh, wait a minute, maybe if I... Woodward is loads of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't he? Yeah. Look at my ward. <laughs> He, leads, he takes the press pack in Manchester out for drinks every month and uh, and then we get a rash of stories about just how much money United are going to spend. It's, um, it's a pattern. Loads of money reference there for the teenagers. Do you know, do you know how old that reference is now, Ed? Yeah, 20, 20, 25 years old. Yeah, that's... Way more than that. Like It's, it's definitely getting on for 30 because it's late 80s, isn't it? The thing is, the magic of this is, you know, teenagers, if, if you're listening... Although, you know, most of our listeners, as far as I can tell, are, are sort of in the 25 to 34 bracket. Really? That's, I, I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's a wider spread than that. Well, that's what my demographics say. But, uh, <laughs> hey. <laughs> We've been doing a survey, have we? No, 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 no. But, um, you know, Google knows many things. We, we know where you live, people. <laughs> Listen or else. We do know where you live, country-wise. What was the thing you tweeted at the turn of the year? About the countries, Rankhouse was listened to in 2014 by people in 194 countries. That is amazing. I am not convinced that if you gave me half an hour, I could name 194 countries. No, no, I'm pretty sure I can't. There are only 193 in the UN General Council. So, uh, Kofi Annan, we're coming for your job, mate. <laughs> Rankhouse one, UN nil. Kofi Annan's not even in the job, but hey, <laughs> one for the teenagers there. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So we're getting off track a little bit here. Uh, and uh, frankly, I can't remember where the track was. Uh, we, we, we kind of talked about the Stoke game. And uh, I guess I don't really know what to say about the Yeovil game. Uh, really, really poor. They did really well to press us early. In the end, we kind of survived the onslaught of Yeovil's waves and waves of attacks and burnt them out. And under Herrera with an absolute wonder goal that was one heck of a moment that was great hit wasn't it and he uh, celebrated like a madman a bit Falco-esque that yeah. one <laughs> yeah. ran into the crowd and pumping his fist and got a yellow card for it well worth it a yeah. great lovely hit um, yeah a bit fortunate to get the ball to him in the first place of course but then after it sat up he just smacked it and uh, it was absolutely beautiful great moment because uh, and, and you can see some frustration being released as well yeah. and 
that went in and uh, Disso and Di Maria scored, I suppose, just to wrap it up. So easily the two high, obviously, you know, duh, easily the two highlights of the game uh, when Herrera and Di Maria scored because, you know, aside from that, it was really low quality, you know, um, much like the Stoke game, not a lot of... Um, Good stuff happening from players who should do better. I mean, uh, neat and tidy around Herrera when he had the ball. The rest of them, not really. Rooney struggled to have an impact. Falcao barely ever got the ball. James Wilson was neat when he got it, ran into the channels a lot, but uh, couldn't really make an impact in front of goal, could he? One matter, pretty anonymous when he came on, unfortunately. Oh, 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 no. I must beg to differ you there. beg I to differ. No, I sir. I beg to differ there. One, I, I, my honour has been offended. <laughs> um, no, I, I thought that actually matter came on and made a really big difference to United and actually we managed to retain possession in the second half a, a lot more because Mata was really tied in his use of the ball and like Rooney's pass and Di Maria's goal rightly get the plaudits but the, the little perfectly weighted layoff as the ball was making its way out of defence from Mata into Rooney's path really set it up nicely for that long ball. I, I, I I thought he made quite a big difference. I was going to mention him as one of the few bright sparks of the game. Were you now? I was. All right. All right. Well, you know, hey. Um, <laughs> I've got I've got lower standards than you, Ed. I think that's been made abundantly clear. In in many things. <laughs> Football too. So where did United go from here? At some point, Van Gaal is going to have to find a way of uh, dragging out a performance from United away from home. I can't even credit the Tottenham game with being a great performance because it only happened for 45 minutes and then uh, you know, United completely stepped off the gas or Tottenham stepped on it in the second half. So just nothing all season from uh, United when it's away from Old Trafford. And, and, maybe, and you can probably get into the top four given United's home form uh, by getting a few draws and nicking a couple of wins away from home and then winning everything at home that will probably get United into the top four. But, um, you know, it's it's going to mean that it's tighter than anyone wants, I'd suspect. Yeah, I I don't know if it is just my kind of pie-eyed optimism or if it's because the home form was really shaky at first too and that kind of has been turned around and it's taken him longer to crack the away form thing. But there's something about the way that the injuries have stacked up that have affected the away performances even more than the home performances because of the kind of specific needs that we have away from home to soak up pressure. And we've just looked kind of shaky doing that. But the the flip side of it is the results are not that terrible away from home, right? Two defeats and lots of games we should have won, which we've drawn, which obviously costs us in terms of if we actually could have won the league, if we had done that but that's you know whatever it's not as disastrous as all that you know and no one's saying it's disastrous oh, no, but no, also no. only two wins and yeah, those are yeah. Arsenal and Southampton I mean and three <laughs> if you count Yeovil but totally totally deserved both of those wins oh, not absolutely. In the least bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, complete yeah. robbery in the two victories United have got so either way that's not good right so Van, Van Hal tried to defend his uh, away record the other week in the press conference when he said you know the trainer coach his record is, isn't that bad away from home um, where teams make it difficult for us. And but then he said, and teams also make it difficult for us at home. So I thought he kind of ruined his argument there. But, you know, I understand that it's not terrible. I think David Moyes may have got more wins on the road, though. So and that might say something. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're having the flip flop season, aren't they? Moyes' away record was reasonably excellent. It was just his home form was worse than Van Gaal's away form if you know what I'm saying. You know, I, I guess we've got faith that it'll happen at some point, uh, but it's just not now. Um, a couple of other talking points from the games, given that there were a few changes at Yeovil. No Adnan Yanazai. You'd think this would be set up for him having a game. I mean, this is he's had four starts this season, uh, which doesn't, um, doesn't say much for him. It's, he's not impressing in training or, or whatever it is, and he's been ill recently, which has not helped him. You know, four starts, um, it's not going to get anyone... Uh, well, a 19-year-old kid or 20-year-old kid is not going to build his confidence up or help him develop at all. No, I mean, of course, he did play against Stoke, brought on to play left wing back after Ashley Young went off. So kind of harsh on Yanazai, but the only position he could have played against Stoke would have been James Wilson's position. And it's hard to argue that Yanazai should be 
playing as a striker ahead of Wilson, isn't it? So mm, That's right. But, I mean, going down to the League One side, uh, he can play at 9 or 10 as well, do that plenty in the reserves. This was set up for him having a game. So if, if we're going to play 3-5-2 for the rest of the season, it does kind of look like it, then there's, I'm kind of torn here because he's massively talented. He's the, the you know biggest talent that's come out of the reserves team in the last 10 years, really. And uh, if you can't find a way uh, to get him playing and useful to United you know Jesus Christ we must be blessed with more talent than I thought we had and it just seems a real shame that you can't get someone like him in and around the team but in that system and if you can't find a role for him that isn't at nine and isn't at ten and that's where all the competition is then it's uh, it's going to be difficult for him so he's got to get some games so maybe a loan makes sense although it's a real pity loaning out a player of that talent. It is, but you, you say that maybe there's more talent than you think there is, but in all the positions Yanazai wants to play, there's a ton of talent, isn't there? It's like we've had this conversation, I feel like so it's circular, isn't it? We we keep coming back to this, but I was I was trying to work out where I would have played Yanazai, and unless you went to four at the back, you have to leave someone out that you don't necessarily want to leave out. If, if you do what Van Gaal clearly wanted to do and play a, a very strong, almost full-strength side. Uh, talking of players who make me sad, uh, as the, the lack of progress that Yanazai is experiencing is doing, Darren Fletcher against Yeovil, uh, and indeed a little cameo at the end against Stoke. Gary Neville would have retired by now, right? That's This is becoming really, like... You don't even want to see him play against Yeovil. And I love Darren Fletcher. And I think his courage coming back is is hard to put into words just how extraordinary his achievement to come back and be a professional athlete is. But it's not working at that the level he's trying to be at, is it? No, I mean, if you recall, you'd say he found his level, except he was completely out of his depth against Yeovil. So he just can't compete physically, as far as I can tell. You know, he's just not... He just doesn't get around enough and uh, and he's overstretching himself all of the time just to stay in the game so it was really sad he had a, a very bad performance it's not been a good season for him everyone loves Darren Fletcher because he's a, a good lad and as you say got lots of courage and it's an amazing story that he's even playing but he's out of contract in the summer I can't see any way that United offer him a new contract it just wouldn't make any sense it'll be sentimental so the question for Fletcher really is does he think he can still cut it? Does he even really want to play at a lower level, if that was it? Does he go to a lesser team and carry on playing? Or does he say, well, that, maybe that was my time in football and I uh, I believe he's doing his coaching badges. I go off and become a coach. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because he, he spent two years working so hard to come back from that illness that to just play a season and not be able to kind of play a lot I don't know, it might feel a bit anticlimactic considering there probably is a level that he could do a pretty good job at. Um, In a less physically intense league, he could do well, I think, still. But anyway. That may well be true, but that's not in the championship, right? He doesn't drop down a division because that is super competitive physically. No. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Um, Can you see Darren Fletcher heading off to Spain or... Uh, the continent. Maybe yes. she's going to play in the MLS. It's all the all the vogue these days. He should go and play for Moisey. That's what he should do. He should go and play for Sociedad. Very good. Yeah. Talk, talking of MLS, wall-to-wall coverage of Steven Gerrard's death this week. No, no, sorry. sorry. <laughs> what was it? Retire- no, it's not that either. He's just moving to a new club for bucket loads of cash. As the uh, BBC Radio 5 Live asked, <laughs> I can't even say this with a straight face, is he the Premier League's greatest ever one-club player? <laughs> they ask as he's leaving, and even if he wasn't leaving, the answer is clearly no. <laughs> Like, Ryan Giggs is there. He's right there. Don't have to look far to see him. He's still at the club. He's retired. You can just imagine Neville, Skulls and Giggs <laughs> dying with laughter at that one. Yeah. Um, friend of the show, Simon Stevens, was tweeting about Stephen Gerrard and his lack of league titles and was pulled up on it by Gary Lineker, which was because Gary Lineker never won a Premier League, of course. And there are definitely players considerably worse than Stephen Gerrard to have Manchester United-related winners' medals. I mean, huh, do we? Are we? Are you want to? Do you want to share your thoughts about the relative merits of Stephen Gerrard's? Oh, I'd love to. Okay, love right. to. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm, I have to say, I'm with Fergie on this one. I don't think he's a top top player. Well, how many um, tops do you give him? 
half a top. Not even a top. He's not even a top player. He, he might be a half a top player. <laughs> Maybe he's top. Well, look. Um, so I think I think you, you could look at this two ways, right? So he's got a range of talent, which um, very few English players have been able to match over the last 15 years, right? So his physical abilities, his pace, his distribution, shooting ability and leadership, albeit somewhat reticent leadership, I'd say, you know, are uh, were outstanding um when when the physicality went when he wasn't able to compete anymore because his pace went then his game completely collapsed right so that's you know one thing massive man talent but it all came in individual moments you know this is this is a player who i always thought was not a not a pure team player and not just because you know the whole stevie me thing although there's some of that in there he wasn't ever a player that was able to control the tempo over the game he wasn't the skulls he definitely wasn't a zidane and so that's why you know i'd relegate him some way down the list you know and i think this is the if you kind of look at skulls versus gerard it's a it's a a silly argument really but um i suspect uh, an awful lot of players of the continental type would rate skulls a lot higher because of his ability to do all those things i just said you know control a game as well as score goals and have beautiful technique and a range of passing steven gerrard always did it in bursts and the really interesting i thought in gerrard's career was when rafa benitez came in and he basically pushed him out of midfield and stuck him on the wing you know because of that exact reason he's a man who can you know create a moment of brilliance um, in a second but he wasn't a player who ever had the game intelligence to run a game a lot of that seems reasonable to me plus he's a dirty scally who beats up DJs uh, if they don't play Phil Collins the thing about him allegedly is he's also a football genius like he's also a proper absolutely amazing footballer when he's when he's on his game and at the top of his game as you say is the moments of magic that he has been capable of as you said he's one of the the very few English players that has that that top level of talent and he he has this kind of history of incredible Roy the Rovers moments and if we were a Liverpool podcast I'm sure we'd love him to bits or whatever but sure of course yeah but yeah it's hilarious that he's going to MLS because he's fallen out with Brenda but yeah the eulogies were uh, pretty intense and it was only a couple of weeks after the is Thierry Henry the greatest ever Premier League player and then you've got the is Steven Gerrard the greatest ever Premier League player and I'm looking at it going right I'm going to try really really hard to forget that I'm a United fan Manchester United have won 13 out of the 20 Premier Leagues have had loads of the best players there's all this debate about is Gerrard Lampard or Skulls, the best midfielder of the Premier League era, and I'm like, you're not, you haven't even included the best midfielder of the Premier League era in your discussion about who the best midfielder might be because well, Roy King kills all of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I was about to say, they're not fit to lace his boots, which is not fair on any of them, really. But because they're all fine players, and obviously I'd have Skulls out of that list, but that's because I love him. But yeah, Roy King is like obviously the answer to that question and might well be the answer to the question of who the greatest Premier League player is as well. Uh, hey, uh, if I had to pick Gerard versus Keane, I'd pick Keane every single time and then I'd pick Vieira ahead of Gerard, and then I'd probably pick a couple of others ahead of Gerard <laughs> too. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'm coloured by my uh, rampant anti-Liverpool bias, maybe, but uh, I, I'm, uh, again, you know, just don't think he was a top, top player he wasn't able to lift Liverpool to greater heights uh, and he wasn't able to do it with England either some people say that shows uh, what a remarkable player he is because he played with a bunch of mediocre teams uh, and still shone but uh, I rather think that is also a sign of of uh, his his lack of being able to do something brilliant with those teams Diego Maradona played with a mediocre Argentina side and they won a World Cup the fascinating alternate universe question of what would have happened if Liverpool had, had lost the penalty shootout in 2005 and Gerard had moved to Chelsea you know it's uh, it's interesting isn't it because because I think we'd know more about his relative merits if he'd played in a proper team let's be clear Gerard didn't not move to Chelsea because Liverpool won the European Cup he didn't move to Chelsea because Liverpool offered him the cash that he wanted mm. you know just as mercenary as any other I, I think that- uh, scally that uh, <laughs> But uh, messes his club around in order to get a new contract. I mean, maybe you're right, but I strongly suspect the truth lies between the uh, two positions of romanticism and cynicism. No, it doesn't. Just go, just go read the quotes from yeah, Gerard in 2005. Yeah. Right. So this is weeks after the Champions League, uh, and he says very clearly, "I want to leave." 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had every intention after the Champions League final of signing a new contract, but the club haven't come up with what I wanted, so I'm going to go, you know. OK, but that there is, you go. I don't actually think that's definitive proof of your argument because if he felt that the club was kind of undercutting his true value in the market then he had to take a counter position to that anyway i have absolutely no interest in defending stephen gerrard we, we talked about stephen gerrard for Good 10 luck minutes to you, stevie i hope you have a long a lovely time in los angeles hashtag r.i.p gerrard <laughs> I really wish that he'd gone to New York to replace Frank Lampard. Who's It's weird that the Gerard and Lampard, they're both going to be in MLS, not the MLS, right? Um, but they're both going to be in MLS on opposite coasts if, if Lampard ever gets there. He's going to win the league with City. It's going to be hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the Lampard thing makes a real mockery out of, of MLS. You know, it, look, it's not the highest standard in the world. It's sort of mid-championship level, I'd say. It's about what the average wage is. It's it's really interesting. I mean, they're very strict on the salary cap. So um, they have three designated players per team uh, whom can be paid whatever the club chooses and uh, MLS central contracting system also makes a contribution to that so Gerard will be one of um, LA's three designated players with Landon Donovan retiring uh, but outside of that salary caps like $500,000 basically and and then there's like a minimum salary which is only I think $50,000 or something I, I may be wrong on that but it's something around that level so the average works out to be about championship lower championship ish in terms of wages and I think that's always a very good barometer in terms of the quality as well you know and having uh, watched a few MLS games uh, I'd say that's about right you know Gerald's going to go over there and he's going to be playing in a sort of championship standard team which uh, won't be much different for him (laughs) yeah he said some very positive things about Brendan Rodgers in public uh, the other day but that is not what I hear is really going on between the two of them anyway uh, apparently Stevie not at all happy about being left on the bench at Real Madrid so, that is surely enough talk about Liverpool players. And before we get on to previews of the games uh, to come in the next couple of weeks, uh, we have a competition this week. Uh, competitions flowing like water around Rankcast Towers at the moment, and a very nice one it is too. So, Yannick Manwaring, who runs a website called MillsArt, that's M-I-L-S-Art, uh, he does um, illustrations and paintings, um, of many things, lots of commissions, but including footballers, and he's uh, got a picture of Falcao uh, sliding on his knees uh, after scoring a goal for United to give away to one lucky listener. Uh, what's the question, Paul? It is an absolutely beautiful painting, and given that we might not be holding on to Falcao, it's worth preserving the moment for posterity uh, for all to come. And since the painting does capture a moment of Falcao celebrating a goal, what we'd like is to know is what have you celebrated in your life as wildly as Falcao celebrates every single goal he scores? So if you want to get your answers in, uh, email us cast at unitedrant.co.uk or uh, use Twitter with the hashtag rankcast. And I'll even look on the Facebook. So the Facebook, put a comment on the Facebook post for this episode. Do it, do it. Yeah, I had to think about this one. Uh, but all my answers are goals that United scored in big games. <laughs> I've had some pretty awesome... I, I feel like getting a job. There's been a couple of times where I've got jobs I really wanted that have enabled some cool stuff to happen where I felt like running around screaming about how happy I was. Very good. Should we do some Twitter questions? I got a little bit silly this week. They always do when you ask the questions, Paul. <laughs> I, I think I need to get involved. This is ridiculous. At No Heroes Here says, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? The thing is about life is the capacity for heartbreak to exist is one of the reasons why life is as wonderful as it is because you need the contrast, right, to make life meaningful in any way. So it's kind of like because a heart can be broken is the reason that you need a heart. Of course, speaking in a metaphorical sense here before you jump in with... You need it to pump blood around your body. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say on Sky Sports, uh, the, uh, the the guy standing outside Anfield said, there's a deep sense of loss here in Liverpool. <laughs> um, at Jude in London says, do you know the way to San Jose? Ed, do you know the way? I do. Yes, actually. <laughs> I have been there many times. You take a plane, right? Yeah. At Liz Worsley says, is Coleman better than Raphael? I don't recognise that song lyric. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe it's one of those folksy ones you like. Yeah. Yes, probably. It's a good question. He's definitely fitter than Raphael, isn't he? Yeah. I- I'm I'm fitter than Raphael. <laughs> 
you spent the entire Christmas period not being able to walk. Pretty much. <laughs> you're still fitter than Raphael. Yeah, the Raphael thing, I love Raphael as much as the next person, more than many of the next people. But I don't see how we can possibly think that keeping him as our first choice right back is the right move from this point out. He's had one injury-free season. Yeah, I, I mean, that's it. And you're just hoping that'll happen again. But sometimes hope isn't a good strategy. So the, the problem is that that's true of also true of Smalling, Evans and Jones as well, right? All talented players to different degrees. Um, but none of them are ever fit, so you can't rely on them. At Golder Skulls says, Why does Falco, Falco? Falcao always get subbed ahead of RVP regardless of performance? Got subbed ahead of uh, James Wilson regardless of performance today. It's because he's being managed, because his injury recovery is being managed. It's, there's nothing mysterious about that whatsoever. He had the whole of last season out and had a really difficult return from injury and they're being really careful with him as they should be, right? Uh, yes, stories around this week that Juve are interested. Uh, I'm not sure where they'd get the money, but it, it does bring up an interesting debate. United at some point will have to decide whether it's worth spending another £46 million pounds, uh, just on the transfer fee to bring him in, plus the £250,000 a week wages. Uh, so that's a hell of an outlay, isn't it? You know, you're talking about a sort of £80 million pound commitment on one player who... If you just take this season as a microcosm and forget everything that happened before, you'd say he's not worth it, not even nearly at all. But um, you'd spend that money because you know of his history and you know what a world-class striker he is if he's fit. Uh, at Garano says, how will I know? Uh, and I think he means if he really loves me, but I'm going to interpret it as how will I know whether we should keep Falcao or not. And essentially, the answer is it depends on how many goals he scores between now and April. I think I don't think if it if it carries on I, like I really hope it works out that would be amazing because of how good his best is but if it carries on like this really spotty periods out with injury between now and April we can't do it can we it would be financial suicide yeah absolutely look we've got enough players who just can't keep themselves fit anyway so there's no point spending a load of money on a, another player of that elk um, I think Owen Hargreaves ought to have taught us something it's one of the reasons why the the kind of loan scenario is a, a very sensible one even if that is hugely expensive anyway if we'd bought him on a five-year contract with that you know huge fee uh, we'd all now be going god are we sure about this so at least we have some time in order to work it out at mowing meadow says at first i was afraid should i now be petrified and since he's a chelsea fan the answer is yeah you should be because we're coming for you next season yeah we're definitely Frank- next season yeah city are coming for you this season <laughs> yeah at mark underscore e underscore f says why do birds suddenly appear slightly tempted to say it's because daily blint is about to return from itch ah yes that, that <laughs> may uh, talking of which I hear on Twitter that uh, I managed to get someone laid the other week, a couple of weeks ago. I was quite impressed with myself. How did you do that? Oh, the reverse curse of the rank cast was that? A friend of ours on Twitter asked, uh, sent a question in uh, about um, chatting up ladies, and I gave him some good advice, which is, uh, you've got no chance, mate, give up. And it totally worked. It totally worked. It still hasn't worked on Johnny Evans yet, the reverse curse. Oh, yeah, uh, Yeovil, Rooney was rubbish. By the way, giving Rooney so much praise, it was a lovely pass. But for the rest of the game, it was absolutely terrible. In that game. It was. It's been a while since we've had to, been able to do some Rooney hate. Yeah, pass. well, you know. I don't hate him. Yeah, you do. Go on, admit it. You're going to admit it. Deep down, you do. No, the the funny and ridiculous truth is that actually, deep down, I really love him. That's the problem. <laughs> like, that's... That's the ridiculous truth of the Rooney situation. Battered wife scenario, this one is. Yeah, he moved to number 10, and uh, I, I don't think it's his position. Maybe we should just stick him in defensive midfield role from now on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this was sent at half-time from at Blabberwan saying, hope we'll hold you over for another 45 minutes to earn a money-spilling replay. <laughs> really made me laugh, that did. You've got to ask yourself the question, says at LHS underscore TCM. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Yes, I do, because United keep winning or at least not losing, even when they're terrible. Well, yeah, better to have a lucky coach than a good coach or something like that, or or, a trainer coach. We've got both as well, that's the thing. Uh, We'll leave the last word to friend of the show at Anton Alfie said, he's still never seen United win. What game should I go to next? just don't go and see us away from home and also 
if we don't win at home next time you go, you might be banned for life from Old Trafford, I'm afraid, Anton, because it's starting to look like mm, a pattern. Yes, I'd definitely stick with those home games and go for someone pretty terrible at home. And so talking of which, um, we've got a couple of previews to do because we are having a week off due to Ed's travel, which means we're not going to have a week off for international break. So we'll do Twitter question special or something. Um, And we're going to preview the home game against Southampton. We'll mention away against QPR as well. Home to Southampton, probably not the one to go to if you want a nailed-on win, is it? No. I mean, what what a mixture from Southampton at the moment, though. I mean, uh, they had that dodgy period when they lost three in a row, played uh, Arsenal, City and us all in a row, and lost all of them, or was it Chelsea? And then have come back quite strong, you know, beat Everton, beat Palace, got the draw with Chelsea and then beat Arsenal uh, on the up again. And um, it's going to be it's going to be a tough game for United, even at home. Um, this is Southampton side that's pretty full of confidence. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and rightly so. I'm actually super, super impressed with the way they've come back from that blip because, you know, that the the bubble burst narrative was fully happening wasn't it that 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 three in a row uh included a loss to Burnley uh, which is what really set it off but the fact that they kind of came back managed to beat Everton then they beat Palace then they as you say that draw with Chelsea beat Arsenal slightly dodgy result at home to Ipswich in the FA Cup but I've got no idea what sort of team they put out for that no I didn't didn't see the game oh they were very good against Arsenal I mean Arsenal yeah, didn't help super. themselves did they? <laughs> they, they they'll do that <laughs> yeah they will yeah um yeah Miguel Delaney uh, on Twitter said uh, they've got too many seven out of ten players I thought we've been generous to be honest look Southampton they've got plenty of seven out of ten players but the seven out of ten players uh are coming together to make something better than the uh, the sum of the part at the moment. Um, uh, they'll lose Mane, who scored a bunch of goals recently to the African Cup of Nations. Um, that will be a pity for them because he's he's finally coming to form and been scoring goals. But you know, Pele scored some goals this season. You know, blows hot and cold. Wanyama is is having a decent season um, at the back. They seem pretty solid. Alderweire, as anyone who saw him with Atletico will know, he's a, he's a good player and he's done very well. And Tadi has been absolutely brilliant I mean um, he's a player destined for big things I'd say because he orchestrates that side um, from wherever he plays you know mostly out on the left but um, often central too yeah absolutely and I'm kind of in my heart relying on the fact that our home form has been so good that we're not going to take this away form of the recent period we've got a full week almost between games and they'll be able to get back to training normally and, and the kind of normal rhythm of things and they've kind of done all right over the Christmas period in terms of managing injuries and all that kind of stuff although Young being out and it depends on the Shaw and Raphael thing whether that's really the case not that good is it because we've lost Valencia Young, Raphael and Shaw (laughs) some very specific problems caused by that but anyway I'm kind of hoping to see a return to some of that form we showed against Newcastle although you would think that Southampton will be a, a, a good deal more of a, a stiff test. For sure, yeah. I think they're going to give United a good game. And and they can play... And The thing with Southampton, which is interesting, is they can most definitely play on the break. So they have very little possession. They can uh, still create a lot of chances, as they did against Arsenal, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that is going to be a, a who turns up on the day. Fascinated to see whether we stick with three at the back. Because at home, it's actually worked okay a couple of times. It has just still not ever really looked good except for those one or two performances half of half a game against Tottenham that game against Newcastle can't even really think of another time because the other really good home performance happened with four at the back so at some point he's going to drop it right at some point he's going to go yeah well fullbacks or no fullbacks I've got to stop doing this because mm, I think he's going to play three at the back the whole season until he's got two fullbacks who he sees a fit and a couple of centre-halves he sees as fit as well. And he's got a very high bar set for what is fit or not. So a real shame um, that Shaw and Raphael are injured again so soon. He could play four at the back, but that would mean Valencia playing as a right-back if he's fit. He's got a groin problem at the moment or Smalling or McNair and uh, that's a square peg in a round hole, isn't it? So I think we'll play three at the back against Southampton. Um, I'm not sure who's going to play in those wing-back positions, so... We'll see. It it could be a little messy. Um, who knows? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to be OK, actually. I think that presumably Carrick will be back for this one because he's not injured, is he? He was just being rotated. 
Van Persie will be back having had a little rest we'll see I'm cautiously optimistic and actually before the game against Yeovil I was not optimistic at all given our record against that sort of team uh, but but yeah for some reason that kind of fortress Old Trafford thing makes sense to me and then we've got an away trip that we actually really should win if we don't win our, the next away trip this is really a problem because we're playing the Premier League equivalent of going to Yeovil and that is Queen's Park Rangers if you can't beat Queen's Park Rangers you need to have a good hard look at yourself because that is not a football team at the moment <laughs> no although of course they're not actually in the relegation zone but you know, <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of points off they, it they are playing like a relegated side they are for much sure. much worse than all the teams in the relegation zone yeah got, got spent by Sheffield United in the FA Cup I wonder if Harry will get the sack you never know um, of course, will he have signed Jermaine Defoe by then? <laughs> Apparently his favourite to go to Leicester, which seems ridiculously implausible. The, the one thing QPR have got going for them is Charlie Austin scores goals at Loftus Road. It happens over and over again. That's kind of their one saving grace. I guess that's the big threat to United. But we should have so far too much for their defence. A defence that Rio Ferdinand can't get into, which is not saying too many good things for him. Although it was nice to see him turn up the other day. I hope he plays. I mean, he played against Sheffield United, unfortunately for him. Uh, doesn't say much for him, does it? No, I mean, look, they've got all sorts of problems at the back. I mean, they've got names that of players that played at much higher levels. You know, I, I knew I played for City for a long time. Stephen Corker looked like he, he would be a fine player. Um, and uh, when you can really say the same of Traore. He's always been terrible. Uh, Ferdinand, of course, you know, as, as good as it gets in, in European terms when he was uh, at his peak. So they've got the players, but yeah, they can't defend for Toffee and, and their midfield isn't much better anyway. And then they've got some decent attacking players who, you know, are able to create a stage for Charlie Austin, who's, who's done remarkable things for a player of, you know, limited talent. But he's got sort of 15 goals this season, which is, I think, way more than anyone expected from him. Yeah, absolutely. As we record this, Real Sociedad are beating Barcelona. <laughs> so if you feel a disturbance in the force while you're listening to this, that is just because that's happening. It's not going to last. Unfortunately, we're going to stop recording this show before Moyes has got his first victory against Barcelona. No, it can't happen. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I can, yeah. Especially like it took us ages to beat Yeovil as well. So it's going to be everyone's going to be saying, "I'll oh, bring back Moisey." No one in their right mind surely could want that. But anyway, as we speak, it's six minutes into the game. So just just for context, talking of predictions, given that we probably predict Barcelona are going to win this game, what do you think is going to happen when Manchester United play Southampton? Ed, tough one, uh, but I think United's home form and the ability to attack means that we'll probably win the game and I think it'll be a fairly open game as well at Southampton happy as I said not to have possession and will be dangerous on the break so I'm going to go for a you know high scoring win for United let's say 3-2 to United we keep predicting high scoring wins but United haven't conceded two goals in a game since uh, West Brom in October mm. so... yes but we haven't got any defenders you know <laughs> people who stop goals going in no but we've got David De Gea the person that stops goals going in that is very true I'm going to predict a 3-1 win to United it's all going to click we're going to look really good again in that game and then I'm going to predict a scrappy 2-1 get out of jail win against the mighty QPR at Loftus Road that's how bad our away form is so so I was absolutely determined this week not to predict a United away victory (laughs) (laughs) since I do it every week and it's nuts Uh, but look seriously if you can't beat QPR you cannot beat QPR away from home just pack up go home yeah if we can't beat QPR away from home I'm picking up the phone I'm calling Moise <laughs> Moise <laughs> I think all is forgiven mate no no I won't uh you're not gonna win 2-1 at Loftus Road okay we both think that so that is almost guaranteed not to happen whatever you do don't put money on a 2-1 United win so well I have to because I I've committed myself to one pound bet every week how you do not, how you doing? It's, not going, it's not going well <laughs> The season's not that long. You can't lose that much money in the course no, of the season. No, that's why I figured. Yeah, it's a good season to do it. Yeah, exactly, because there's no games as well. That's That really does help, doesn't it? Um, so, we'll be back in two weeks' time uh, during the international break because Ed's having an international break of his own. So if you want to be sure never to miss an episode of the Rantcast, whenever and wherever we release them, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes or your Android-based podcasting software of your choice. 
uh, just hit that hit that subscribe button. There, there are other iPhone apps that you can have. It sounds like a Radio Times advert. This one is that true? Then so there's there's multiple ways of getting podcasts on an iDevice. Absolutely, yeah. There's a, there's a the app I use is called Overcast. It's very nice. I have no shares, so I'm not plugging it for any other reason than uh, it's just a very nice way of doing it. I actually use it because I can pack in more podcasts because it um, it works out where the gaps are and uh, eliminates them, and it's quite listenable as a result so like you know the whole bit where your your cogs in your brain are ticking around when you're thinking about what to do next it'll cut all that out amazing stuff so there's just no gaps in it no so what you're saying is it could replace tom yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm against it i'm against it on that basis nobody could ever replace tom it does also make some podcast sound uh, like that scene out of train spotting uh, <laughs> you know the one yeah. where, where the chap's going for the job interview <laughs> high as a kite yes uh, another one for the teenagers there. Um, all our cultural reference points predate the birth of so many Wankcast listeners but anyway kids don't do drugs no. become a famous podcaster and you get them for free yeah so if you want to get hold of me or Ed in the meantime you can get me at UTD Rantcast on Twitter you can get Ed at United Rant uh, you can get us both at facebook.com slash United Rant where loads of people have been getting involved so tried to i answered someone's question from september about whether a podcast was coming this week <laughs> i told him it was so anyway the other way you can get hold of us is uh, on the page over at unitedrant.co.uk where you can read what ed has to say about manchester united and uh, the work of some other very fine writers as well you even contributed at least 350 words of copy this week paul i know <laughs> i did in which because you asked me the question in two the first question you asked was like a series of questions one of which is uh, are we going to make any marquee signings and I kind of said there's not going to be anyone on the scale of what happened last season and then you sent a separate email where you asked for a predicted 11 next season in which I included Gareth Bale yeah well, it's Gareth Bale's lesser known twin brother who's working in the mines I also said Falcao probably isn't going to work out and then put him in the 11 as well so covering all my bases there this is why you don't let me write for united run isn't it something like that (laughs) Um, but if you uh, do want to read what i have to say bleacher report uh, has a bunch of excellent manchester united content on it so plug from my employers there yeah so thanks very much for listening like and subscribe and all that business on itunes and all that magic stuff great so that's us for this week Uh, i'm off to the states uh, as i am wont to do several times a year and so we have a break Uh, apologies for that Uh, i know paul will be inundated with questions on twitter next monday saying when is the rank cast out so no rank cast until the week after next but uh, we'll let you know when that comes out 